Milchamas Ayyavanim, page Chas. Milchamas Ayyavanim, the war of the Syrian Greeks in the story of Hanukkah, it was Lashkicham to make them forget Teda Secho, your Teda. And to remove them from the edicts of your want. Focus on the word your. Like I said in Medrish, that the Syrian Greeks told the Jewish people, the whole man of Hazal is kisvulacham al keren hashed. Write for yourself on the horn of an ox. That you have no portion of the God of Israel. And there's a discussion in. There's a discussion in Chesidus about why they chose Ashoyer. We had a Maimed that we learned last year near Hanukkah Reishman Gimel where at the end of the Maimed the Rebbe mentioned the Pisgah and we spoke about of all things what was the Greek allusion is that Kisvulacham al Keren Asher right on the horn of an ox you have no portion of the God of Israel what's the significance of Shoyer and basically the Rebbe says because Shoyer comes from Kava Gavura ox comes from the left side from Gavura and from Gavura there could be what's called the Chesidus Gavura is cautious when kindness becomes clipper, it falls to tightness. When strength becomes clipper, it falls to cruelty. So, nothing can be better than strength, and nothing can be worse than strength. Gvura, when it's good, is better than chesed, because it's powerful, has strength. Chesed is soft. Chesed has a softness, like water. But when gvura is bad, it's terrible. So the Yivanim said, In other words, that the clip of Yavan came from Gavura as opposed to Chesed. If it came from Chesed, there would be a clip of Taiva. Like, uh, there are different clippers like that. Um, but the severity of Yavan is that he said, It came from the left side. It had a certain cruelty to it. And what do they want? Not that they should stop performing mitzvahs, but that they have no portion of the God of Israel. Translates the Rebbe. So the whole war was their objection was to godliness. Go ahead and learn Tater. Go ahead and do mitzvahs. The so-called judgments. And the so-called testimonials, witnesses, reminders of earlier events. Do not mention she the Tera of Hashem. The unreasonable desire of Atma Saint Do not mention in the concept of godliness. The Greeks had no problem with Tera. They saw it as a beautiful culture. They had a problem with God and godliness. There are, of course, many ways of explaining it. And we, like I said, we started to talk about this, but we want to discuss it more comprehensively, more thoroughly, more holy. The first issue is when you add the Eibishter to Yiddishkeit, you've immediately added an element of never changing, of timelessness. The world, history is dynamic, right? The opposite of dynamic is static. Static means that it still doesn't change. The the world history is change. Now, 
people have noted, and they are to a considerable degree correct, that history repeats itself. Every civilization, every culture thinks it's doing something different, it's rediscovering the wheel, it's reinventing civilization, and as history takes its course, you see that they make the same mistakes, they have the same good fortune and the same bad fortune, the same kindness and the same brutality, it just it's the same cycle repeating itself. According to Kabbalah, it's not repetition, it's getting us closer and closer to Mashiach, we call it birurim, corrections. But every civilization, every klipa has to run its course. But it certainly appears like history repeats itself. But there's change, there's dynamism, there's evolution as they call it. Things change. Yiddishkeit doesn't change. Because it's connected to Hashem. And Hashem is Hashem is past, present and future at once. Or to say it in modern terms, He knows the future and He knew that there would be a 20th century and He knew there would be a 21st century and He knew there would be a jet age and He knew there would be a computer age and He knew there would be the, uh, the communication superhighway and He gave us these 613 mitzvahs. And if He knew all of this and He gave us these mitzvahs, these mitzvahs remain irrevocably always relevant. They never change. And the Syrian Greeks were modern. And they construed the Jewish people as being stuck in the old ways. And they had Rachmanis and the Yidin. They felt bad. Jews were intelligent, always schooled, right? Education was always at the core of Jewish existence in the Jewish life. And wouldn't matter So in their great love for the Jewish people, what did they do? They brutalized them to matter to do them. They beat them. They gave them tough love. It's like Yishachim. It's like Yishachim. They beat them up. They tortured them. All out of love. This is the history of the Jewish people. Um, I'm not laughing because it's a light matter, but it's a fact. They loved us so much that if we were not smart enough to appreciate on our own how we should modernize, they were going to force us if they needed to use the sword. To love us, they would use the sword also. And the root of it was they wanted to take the immortal, the timeless point out of Yiddishkeit. The timeless point of Yiddishkeit was the Eibishter. The timeless point in Tehid is the Eibishter. The timeless point in Mitzvah the Eibishter. The timeless point in Mitzvah is Chukim. What does Chukim mean? The idea that Mitzvahs are the Milam and Atam Vadas. Mitzvahs are higher than reason. They're simply the divine will of God. This is what the Syrian Greeks had a problem with and this is what the Syrian Greeks tried to uproot. Because the Syrian Greeks were cultural. Right? What's culture? You, ha- you have to listen to everybody. You have to hear point of view. You go into the big universities of today, and they study everything, including Judaism. The Judaism they study never existed, doesn't exist, and never will exist. But they're studying Talmud, and they're studying Kabbalah, and they're studying the scripture, and they're studying Jewish history, and, and the different movements in Judaism, and the different revolutions in Judaism, and all the politics. Everything they're studying, yeah? But they're also saying, you have to study everything else as well. And they're also saying, this is an interesting ancient tradition that we read about in the books. It's very, very nice. But when you close the book, you live a different life. Because this, these books have nothing to do with our life. They're very interesting to read about as a historical reference 
difference as something that once was. People used to believe. It's very nice. There's shame. Interesting information. But when it comes to reality, this has nothing to do with reality. This is this is secular civilization. This is this is the the, the strom, as they say, the zerim. Ramayar used to say, I, I mentioned it to you when he passed away, they, they printed his book. He said, how do you know that a fish is alive or dead? If it's swimming against the current. That vote you can live your whole life with. Avot. The Fidi Kemba says in the Sikhs that one vote, you can see them in the old days, you can hear one vote, and the, the whole life could believe the, the sign of life is that a fish, you ever watch fish? It's like amazing. You ever try swimming against the current? Somehow the fish do it. The fish is not as strong as I am, but I, I can eat them up. And the fish swims upstream. The waters are running forcefully downstream, sometimes against rocks, and the fish are just going against the current. It's a sign of life. If you go with the current, you're either alive or dead, but there's no way to prove it. If you're running against the current, and Yiddishkeit runs against the current. So there's a clash of worlds. There's a world that says, listen, you were once in before we existed. Now we're in. One day we're going to be replaced by something else that's in. Let, let's, let's, let's live peacefully. Today you should change from what used to be in to what is in today. And I give you my word, when something different is in tomorrow, I'll change again. In other words, I don't really have a backbone or a spine. Whatever is in, this is what we follow. Whatever is culturally, whatever is acceptable. Now, of course, if you look at history, you know what changes by in, in happens because of a few revolutionaries, because of a few people who are willing to go against the and eventually conquer the world of ideas, hopefully, as opposed to the world of people. Uh, but Yiddishkeit says no. This comes from an Eibishter, and the Eibishter doesn't change. And the Eibishter is timeless. And therefore Yiddishkeit doesn't change. And this was the war that the Yavonim had. They didn't have a problem with Yiddishkeit. If Yiddishkeit is a culture, it's a beautiful culture. You want to practice the mitzvot, you want to get together and have services, by all means, more power to you. But Hellenize. Hellenize means value this tradition as such. You're part of a modern world, a dynamic, evolving, changing world. And it is in that framework that you're holding on to a tradition. When you bring God into the equation, it becomes static. It freezes. It stops. And this was construed as being the opposite of progress. This is what the Greeks' issue was. Now, I want to focus on the specifics. He mentions Latin and Teda, and he mentions Mitzvah HaMishpat and Vahedis. So we'll spend a few minutes. I want to talk about Teda first of all, and then we'll talk about Mitzvah, Mishpat and Vahedis. What is the issue in Teda? Teda is a very scholarly body of knowledge. That's the Emes. The more you learn it, the more you appreciate the infinity of Teda. Teda is unbelievable. The problem is, a lot of us have learned so little that we have no concept of how great the Teda is. But the Teda is unbelievable. The Chumash, the Chumash which are the basis for the whole Teda Shabbat the Mishnah, the Gemara, and all the Madrashim. There's so much, so many windows into the mystery and the secret of the Chumash. And they're not small windows. They're enormous windows. Every window opens up into a world. Because the word 
names of the Gemara and the Mishnah and the Midrashim were expounded upon by greater commentators who showed you how in a word of a Gemara, how in a word of a Mishnah, you have a whole a whole panorama, a whole world. Then later rabbis took the words of the commentators from earlier generations on the Gemara, which is a commentary on the Psukim, and showed you a world within a world within a world. Tatus believable. And you could see the integrity of the Tanaim. Mean, people who learn Gemara, yeah, if you're not religious <laughs> and you learn Gemara, you have to go crazy. Because how are these people so smart? You learn Gemara and you read the language of a Mishnah and the Mishnah will make one bit of sense. And then the Gemara begins to analyze the Mishnah and to show the reasons in it. And then you read the Rashi and the Tesvis and the Ramban and the Rajba and the Ritva. Each one of them attacks that same ten lines of Gemara, rips it to pieces, puts it back together. Each one has his own way of doing it and every one of them makes sense. And then you see how later Goinim took the words of the Rishayim and stripped, ripped them to pieces. You see how the original words of the Mishnah have withstood a thousand questions. You can ask and ask and ask and ask and ask and the more you ask, not the more problematic it becomes. The more rich the words of the, how could any human being have been so smart? <laughs> if you believe in Ruch HaKadosh, okay, David, they wrote it. Rabbein HaKadosh was a very smart man. I mean, but the Abish gave him a, a point of believable. If you don't believe in the Abish, if you believe that this is the creation of man, how could any person have had such people have been studying Raman for eight hundred and fifty years? Thousands of books have written on Rambam. And everybody has ways of explaining the contradiction in Rambam. And Rambam is full of contradictions. Full of unbelievable, blatant and insoluble contradictions. And people have been studying Rambam and they say, boy, how could a person have been so smart to write a book full of contradictions, yet he hints, he finds a way of communicating to us very subtly, very finely, the resolution to all these contradictions. And of course the tenet is because there's a lekei when the Rambam wrote the Shekhinah Medaberus Mitech Gireinoi Mitech Eitei when the Rambam wrote Kvayochal Atmos himself the Rebbe Yishtel himself inspired in the Rambam's words the truth that's why you can study it and study it and study it and the more you learn it and the more questions you ask the more beautiful it becomes not the more problematic it becomes but the Greek said Tate is a beautiful document it's a very scholarly work but it's a work like any other why do you have to put God into it? What's wrong with intellect? What's wrong with scholarship as such? And scholarship as such is dynamic. Kamehameha is dynamic, is alive. But it doesn't have to be so loyal. It doesn't have to be so rigid in its loyalty to the earlier texts. Right? The whole Kamehameha is based on analyzing what? Words, letters, nuances in the Chumash. I mean, how precise is the book? Moshe Ben was a very smart man when he wrote the Torah, but he was a human being still. Why are you like The reason we have such honor for Torah is not because of the great minds of the rabbis who wrote the Torah. The reason we have such honor for Torah is in the belief that the Abish that wrote the Torah. Whether he wrote the Torah directly or he wrote the Torah through the minds and hearts of these rare and very special people who had this chus to be Caleb for the revelation of Tejbal Peh. Oh, the, the credibility we have in Tejbal, the timeless respect we have for Tejbal is 
because of the divinity of it, the belief that there's God in the Torah. And the Greeks had a problem with that. Torah is beautiful, but don't, don't, don't make it static. Don't make the Torah stuck. Static is stuck. Static means I refuse to change. I refuse to modernize. When you bring the Abish, when you bring God into something scholarly, their argument was you take away the evolutionary process from it. You take away from it the possibility of change. And the Yidin said, you're right. We don't want it to evolve. We want to explore it. We want to find all of its depth. But we want to remain loyal to its timeless principles. And the Greeks said there's no such thing as timeless. There's no such thing as timeless. And Yiddishkeit said, of course there's a thing as Thomas, and that's God, and he's written into his holy Torah, and consequently, as much as we study, and as dynamic as Torah is, in other words, as much as we create more Torah, the first rule is that the new Torah has to be consistent and loyal and supportive of the old Torah, as opposed to going away from the old Torah. This is the Rebbe says, Zalman learn in Torah, learn Torah. Take God out of it. And on a practical level, this means take the timelessness, take the static nature out of Tate. And of course, Tate is not is anything but static. Tate is, is alive. Tate is unbelievably dynamic. But Tate is dynamic and static at the same time. The dynamism in Tate is its adaptability. Jewish people have been in every civilization, have been in every culture, have been in every world. The worlds are different in so many different ways and have created a flavor of Yiddishkeit which reflects those civilizations. Jewish people who come from Yemen have a Yemen flavor for Yiddishkeit. Jewish people who come from Morocco have a Moroccan flavor for Yiddishkeit. Jewish people who come from Spain have a Spanish flavor for Jewish people who come from Russia and what's the irony? The irony is the flavor is different. The taste is identical. Shabbos is still the seventh day of the week. Now, that, that's a simple illustration, but we have 613 mitzvahs, and they're all the same. Taita doesn't change. Taita, as much as it changes, it remains the same. Forget, that's the sign of the godliness of Taita. It can go everywhere. It can be tested by every civilization, by every culture, and it must adapt. And it takes time, no question about it. Look at Jewish history. There were weak moments. There were periods that because of radical change, there was a halishas on Yiddishkeit. Uh, to give you a historical example, the center of Jewish scholarship was in Bava, in Iraq, in Babylonia, for well over a thousand years. The Jews who were exiled to Europe were spiritually in a very, very low level because they didn't have leadership. They didn't have scholarship. They didn't have the, the, the centers of Tater were in Bava. They would send shluchim there. There's a story, it's a famous story, it's one of the most famous stories in the history of the Jewish people, the story of Darvosh William, the four captives. They were from the time of the Goinim, about 1300 years ago. And one of them, Rabchanina, was the father of Rabbi Hanana, who was a commentary on the Gemara, one of the oldest written commentaries on the Shafts, way before Rashi and Taisus, even before the Rif. Came to some city in Spain, I forgot where, and he was, he was a captive. And the Jewish people were always practicing pigeon shrimp. This was a real part of life. The pirates of the sea, I guess that's the right word, pirates, <laughs> would capture ships and the people on the ship would be slow 
sold in a slave market. So the Jewish communities would go down to the docks where the pirates were and routinely would purchase Jewish slaves and give them freedom. Not Ways could they return to their native lands? So this Rabbeinu, the father of Rabbeinu If I'm not mistaken, that's who it was. But if I'm wrong, the mistakes are technical. But he was sitting in Beth Medrash. He, he was he was purchased by the community, and he was, his wife had died, and he was alone. He was sitting in Beth Medrash, and the Rashi Shiva was teaching. And the Shiva was a very fine man. And the Rashi Shiva, this is a Maaseh from Dreizen hundred yards to thirteen hundred years ago. So a long time ago. And he was a very fine Jew who studied Taylor. But the destruction of the temple happened approximately 500 years before then. 600 years before then. 700 years before then. The center of Taylor was in Bovel. The Jewish people living in Spain and Europe did their best. And amongst them is sitting one of the Goyim. How are they to know? And there's a Shiva's teaching. And there's Rabchanina, again, I believe, the Rabchanina says that's not the correct shot. And there was a shikha conversation. And within minutes, they realized that God sent them an angel, Pashat. And they appointed him Rosh Yeshiva. This was the beginning of Tate in Europe. That's how it happened. <laughs> so for hundreds of years in Europe, this is Spain, let alone north of the hills, of the mountains, uh, in in. in in, um, in Ashkenaz, you know, we call today Ashkenaz, we call Ashkenaz as Germany. But there was a period, 1300 years ago, that Ashkenaz encompassed all of Western Europe. France and Germany and Czechoslovakia, the whole thing was owned by one king, a very famous king, Charles, Charlemagne. And that's what Ashkenaz is. When you say in Russian Tata, Svad and Ashkenaz, Svad means Spain, and Ashkenaz means the whole of Western Europe. That's what it means. Not one country. Uh, but it was eventually split up. But that's where the terms come from. He brought Tate to Ashkenaz and to, to Europe. But th- there's a continuity of Tate. And the continuity of Tate has to do with the connection between Tate and the Abishtim. So on the one hand, it's static, doesn't budge. On the other hand, it's extremely flexible and dynamic. The Greeks wanted it not to be static at all. Let it evolve. Let it change. You can change the rules. It's a new world, modern ideas, things change. Civilization changes. People get smarter. I mean, people get smarter. It's such a relativism. If you look at history, yeah, as we look at history, what do we know about history? What do we know about history? The people who came before us were pretty stupid. Yeah, we look at ourselves and we attribute to ourselves unbelievable wisdom, and on that basis, we're willing to make all kinds of modifications into how life is supposed to be lived. And Tata says, no, we don't make modifications. We don't change. Why? Because Tata yeah, but you're stuck in the past. You're insisting on the old way. The old way is the correct. What says in Tate, I don't mean what people do. What says in Tate is Emmis. And history will bear it out. Unfortunately, time will show that what Tate says is Emmis Lamite. And the Greeks had a problem with this. To say the same on a more Adela level, in other words, how would you say this in the Hasidic terminology, in the Hasidic form? It's the classic idea of 
the kasher between the teira and the nesen teira, the connection between the teira and the giver of the teira. Everybody knows this concept that it says in Gemara, it's brought many svarim that the base of Mikdash was destroyed because the Jewish people did not bless the teira. Didn't say bechsa teira, but they said in the Gemara. Why was the base of Mikdash destroyed? Because Jewish people didn't say a blessing before they studied the teira. And the question is asked: So, how big a crime? The base of Mikdash is destroyed because they didn't say bechsa teira for not saying was destroyed? What's, it's taka and or it's, it's, it's missing an opportunity to do a mitzvah, but that's reason enough to destroy the base of Mikdash. So it says in Svarim, from the Maram Miprag, it's brought. And Hasidus brings it. That what this means to say is not that they didn't say the bracha. They failed to link the Torah to the nation. They stopped connecting the Torah to the Eibishter. In other words, they, they took out of Torah the Kedushas of Torah, the sanctity of Torah. Tanya talks about the need that when we learn Taylor to appreciate that it's holy. That's why the din is, it's what knows for him, that when you learn Taylor, you have to learn Taylor with that right? When a person studies physics, is there, is there a dress code how you study physics? Is there a behavioral code how you're supposed to sit, how you're supposed to lay, how you're supposed to stand? As long as the information goes in the head. When you study Taylor, the mother says, just like when we receive the Taylor the first time. It says, There was a year, there was an awe, it was an unbelievable respect that the Jewish people experienced towards the Abish and towards Taylor. When you study Taylor, you have to sit, you learn Taylor. I've shared this with you many times. There are certain Kahilis. It's not Alabamach and Minig, Alabamach doesn't cook and Chitanias, but maybe we should. Where when people learn Taylor, they wear a gat. Just like when you dive and you wear a garto. And of course, a, a jacket is that finished. They sit with a jacket and a garto and they take off the hat. <laughs> Why? It's God's Torah. The, the holiness, the respect for the sanctity of the Torah brings Hashem into the Torah. That when you're learning, you're not just studying knowledge, you're studying something which connects you to Hashem. And you, you, you want to feel the Ebishter in your studies. Al-Tarebbe says a practical piece of advice. He says when people study, once every hour, they should stop and remember the Ebishter. They should stop what they're learning and think about God. Think about the fact that what they're studying is not the fabrication of man, it's, it's ultimately the infinite wisdom of the Ebishter. This is connecting the Ebishter to the Torah. So the Greeks had no problem with Torah, they had a problem with bringing God into the Torah. First of all, for the element of immortality, of changelessness that brings the Torah. And second of all, because of the Kedusha, the sanctity. Kedusha, holiness. Holiness you can't touch. Holiness you can't prove. Holiness you can't show under a microscope. And the Greeks said, if there's no physical explanation for it, it's a lie. And the whole Yiddishkeit is that light. Is that holiness. And this was the war of the world. This was the Mokhada. And Yidnat Avnesiris Nefesh to preserve not but the Kedush, the holiness, the sanctity of the Torah. So that's the first issue. Then it says, Zomakayim Zayim Mitzvahs, Zomakayim Zayim Mitzvahs, do Mitzvahs, HaMishpatim Vaha'edis, right? You all know that there's three categories of Mitzvahs. What are the three categories of Mitzvahs? Edus, Chukim, and Mishpatim. What do they mean? Mishpatim means laws that are common sense. Mishpatim means laws that are 
understood in Seichel Anushi, human intellect. The Gemara says that a Mollah Lenitna Terech Hashem wouldn't give us the Terech. We would learn sneeze from a cat, and we'd learn not to steal from an ant. And the Gemara lists other character traits that we would learn from a variety of animals. In other words, what some people call natural laws, not laws of nature, natural laws. There are certain things that people know instinctively are correct. Don't steal, don't kill, don't cheat, don't even lie. And I mean, to take it one step further, care for the sick, for the dead, for the dying, uh, for the weak, loyalty to family. These are values that you don't need the Abish to teach you, so to speak. You can learn them from, from animals, and so on and so forth. That's called Mishpat. So the way I was taught the Sanchei is, these are the kind of laws that Hashem would not teach them. We would figure them out on our own. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you have Chukim. Chukim means laws that make no sense at all. Or as Rashi says it, Those laws that Goyim say, you're doing this, this doesn't make any sense. You're not going to eat milk and meat together. doesn't make any sense. Milk is kosher, meat is kosher, it's all mixing them. You're not going to wear wool and linen together. You're able to wear wool, you're able to wear linen. So what happens if you mix them? What, what, what happens? The, all the halachas of things, you have fruit. Yeah? The fourth season of the fruit, the fifth season of the fruit is kosher. The first three seasons of Asr Banat, called Allah, to be destroyed. What's the difference? This is the same fruit. And the Abish that says, Chukah, Chakak, Nigzeh, Gazati, Hashem decrees that this you can eat, this you can't eat, this you can wear, this you cannot wear. Um, this separately it's kosher, together it's not. So Chukah means mitzvah that have no reason whatsoever. And between Chukah and Mishpatim, you have a middle category called Eidus. What are Eidus? Eidus are the kinds of mitzvahs we would never figure out on our own. But once Hashem gives them to us, they make sense to us. For example, Shabbos, Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot. Eidus means mitzvahs that are a witness or a testimony to an event. Hashem made a miracle, so we celebrate. We wouldn't think of making a Shabbos. Once Hashem tells us, listen, I made the world on six days, and on the seventh day I rested, we have an explanation for Shabbos. We would never think of making Pesach. Once the Abish says, listen, I redeemed you from Mitzrayim, celebrate your Chedos, celebrate your freedom, it makes sense. So Mishpatim makes so much sense. People would figure them out on their own. Who can make no sense? People would never deduce them. Adus makes sense once Hashem gives them to us. Said that ever the Greeks had no problems with Mishpatim and Adus, just with Chukim. You want to do moral, you want to be moral, you want to be ethical, you want to have a higher standard? You don't today. You want to commemorate events, historical events, testimonials, witnesses, once upon a time a miracle happened, by all means. But first of all, Chukim, wipe them away. Mitchell that don't make any sense, who needs them? You're not going to eat this food because it's not, what's the difference? Yeah? We had yesterday's Chitas, Rashi. To separate between Nishchat Chet Yechel Konya and Nishchat Rube Yechel Konya. Right? We only eat meat that's shechted. And the laws of Shechit are very complicated. And they're very, very hard to prove. That's why you have to trust the Shechit. No person in Judaism has given more trust, more blind trust, than a ritual slaughter. You have no idea what he's doing. He could shecht and be a problem, and it's impossible to prove. Impossible. Could ask, do it how he holds the knife. Do it feel. If he slits the throat of the animal, 50% it's treif. 51% it's kosher. What's the difference? What's the difference? Isaiah, the Rebbe Shingah Hayes, the Rebbe That's all. And this is called a chukah. It's a law. 
And the Greek said, if it makes sense, to, this is ridiculous. You want a shaft, you have an explanation for shkita, it gets the blood out so the meat is healthier. Somehow, some say that it causes less pain to the animal. I mean, Yiddishkeit is based on the Ebishtim, not based on the explanations, the humanitarian explanations we have for them. But even there are. But there are aspects that Judaism don't make any sense at all. The Greeks said, get rid of those laws. You don't need them. Cook them. Events, historical events, significant milestones in the history of the Jewish people. But take God out of it. Why does the Abish have to? You're not supposed to steal because the Abish just said you're not supposed to steal because stealing is wrong. You're not supposed to lie because the Abish just said you're not supposed to lie because lying is wrong. You want to keep Shabbos? Keep Shabbos. It's a good tradition. But, but you have to blame it on God? What's the difference? What's the difference if you blame Shabbos on the Abish that you keep Shabbos as a historical event? The difference is like the Eilig of Hashem Tov says, Hakadiyas Amagil the Mafrei Leyot. This is a very famous statement from Eilig of Hashem Tov. Yeah, Hakadiyas Amagil. You're reading the Megillah. Put it. Lemafreya. You're reading it backwards. Loyotza. You have not fulfilled the obligation of reading the Megillah. Translates the Baal Shem Tov. Hagadiyas Amagil. You read the Megillah in order, not backwards. Lemafreya. That it happened a long time ago. The 2300 years ago, 2400 years ago, a miracle occurred. And we're commemorating an ancient event. Layata, that's not Purim. Purim is that every year when this day comes, the energy of Purim happens again. The union of Gairo and Adalayada recur. And we're not commemorating things that occurred, we're experiencing things that are recurring. In other words, the godly, the timeless aspect, the mitzvahs, this was the problem the Greeks had. You want to keep putting them today? There once was an Esther, there once was a Mardachai, but they're no longer. You want to keep an old tradition? Keep it. There are a lot of people who keep old traditions. It's a good idea, it's a bad idea, we like the idea, we don't like the idea, but it's a tradition. The idea that it's current, that it's now, and the reason it's now is because the Eivish that is concealed within the Eidus, and the Eivish is concealed within the Mishpatim, the Greek said, Zoisloi. This not. It's unmattered. It's the opposite of progress. It's the it's static. And there was a war. And they had a great love for the Jewish people. They loved them so much. They they overcame their benevolent natures to use the sword in their great love for the Jewish people, as did the Christians in the last two thousand years. They loved us so much that they wanted so much for us to get into heaven that they killed us in the millions. So we should make it to Ghana. <laughs> about Mishpatim. This, the last detail here. Right, what does the Rebbe teach us about Mishpatim? Why is it important to connect morality, human law, with God? So the Rebbe always illustrates it by using the example of the Nazis. The Nazis were school people. They were intelligent. Some of them, not all of them, but some of them were very sophisticated people, very well educated, very cultural, very involved in the arts, music. And to them, there was no contradiction between all of their fineness and their sophistication and their systematic annihilation of six million Jews. 
because they had an explanation for it. They weren't brutes. They weren't like the crusaders. Who were the crusaders? There were a couple of leaders who rallied a bunch of, forgive me for saying it, drunken, dumb farmers to go and reclaim Jerusalem for Christian church. And on the way, they met the infidels, so they killed them. It was not, it was, it was organized, but it wasn't organized. What the Nazis did almost wasn't a precedent. These were smart people who used all kinds of ingenuity and chokhmah to do an act of the of the greatest antithesis to chokhmah itself. And they had an ex- it's mates. They were doing the world a favor by doing this. They were doing history a favor by doing this. The, 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 the lack of reason herein is unbelievable. And the Rebbe says, what's the root of it? The root of it is that they created their own morality. They were their own God. When God says, do not kill, it's non-negotiable. <laughs> when you say to yourself, it's not, it's not moral to kill, it's very negotiable. Since you've told yourself not to kill, you can also explain to yourself why now you must kill. But now it's a mitzvah to kill. When God says, do not steal, it's not negotiable. There's no room to read. To, you can't negotiate. When you tell Abishter, well, this is an exception. Why? It's a lot of money. And it's very easy. And it won't get caught. <laughs> Come on. When, when the Abishter says, don't steal, it means don't steal. When a person understands that stealing is wrong and he makes the ethics, makes the rules for himself, he can very easily finagle, as they say, twist, entangle these rules to suit his purposes. We've spoken about this in many times in the past, that the human mind, one of the great fallacies of the modern times, is this, the human mind is without conscience. A brain is a tool like a hammer. That's it. A, a human mind has no sense of right and wrong. There is no equation, notwithstanding what people will tell you, between a better education and more moral. And it's being proven now. I mean, in, in, in the, the cultural war that we're dealing with right now is that people are waking up to the recognition that knowledge in education is not the same thing as goodness at all. People believed it for hundreds of years. There is no connection between having more knowledge and being a better person. There may be a connection between having more knowledge and having more money. But being a good person, you can't pay for it. Being a good person has to do with conscience, has to do with essence. And conscience comes from within, and conscience comes from education, but not education in terms of knowledge, education in terms of information, education in terms of morality, in terms of God. Because the brain is a tool. You can use a hammer to build a house. And you can use a hammer to smash windows, to smash other things also. You can use tools for the most constructive purposes. And you can use tools for the most destructive purposes. Who makes that determination? The possessor of the tool. The brain is a tool. How we use the brain determines if it's good or evil. Not the tool. The seicho is not... The mind 
cannot explain right and wrong. The mind can explain whatever you want it to. You can use your brain to justify literally, not virtually, literally any position, as is demonstrated by the Nazis. So the Rebbe said, if you're going to be moral, you need to have a higher power. Somebody else has to impose morality on you. Because morality is superimposed, it's not equivocal. You can't negotiate with God. God said, It's not something that you can twist and turn any way you want. And the Rebbe says, this is what the Syrian Greeks' problem was. They had no problem with Yiddishkeit. They had a problem with the connection between the Mishpatim and the Rebbe. Anyway, let's read it over again. Now they're going through the whole thing. Huh? I cannot hear you. Keeping Mishpatim. They had a problem with the idea that you have to keep Mishpatim because the Rebbe said. Let's read it one more time. Milchanes Hayavonim, how he saw the war of the Syrian Greeks was Lashkicham Secha to make them forget the Teirah to take them away from the edicts of the will of God. The focus here is not on the laws themselves but on the God. This, the lack of evolution. The idea that this is static. It's never changing. Again, I want to underscore that something that's really static dies. <laughs> Uh, nothing static can last. If things don't change, they die. Yiddishkeit is not static. Or, more precisely, it is and it isn't. It never changes and it always does. This is the beauty of Yiddishkeit. Every, I mentioned this before, but it's important to keep this in mind. Wherever Yidin went, they took the same life and adapted it to the new world. And neither was compromised. In other words, Yiddishkeit remains the same Tehidu received at Har Sinai from the Ebishas of Meshach and at the same time, it adapts the flavor, the form of the world to which they've come. Write on the horn of an axe that you have no portion of the world out of Israel. The war of the Syrian Greeks was not against the culture of Judaism. It was against the God in Judaism. Was against God with Zolman Len and Tayra. Study Tayra by all means. Beautiful. Zolman Makayim Zayn Mitzvah. Do the Mitzvahs. But which ones? Hamishpatim. Those laws that are commonsensically reasonable. And even those laws that only make sense after they've been explained, that are witnessed, that are testimony to whatever historical events they may be witnessed for. And actually, not to mention, she Tayra's Hashem, that it's God's Tayra. Visham Mitzvah's Hem the commandments are the will of God. In other words, not to mention in Yiddishkeit the concept of Godliness. Yiddishkeit is a beautiful thing. But it has to be part of the, the ebb and flow of civilization. Change, evolution, anything to the contrary, the Greeks had a problem with. And this was the Messias Nefesh. Right? How do you fight for purity and holiness? Go argue in our world. I mean, this is really, really very powerful and true. Go convince people there's something called purity and holiness. Yeah? Yiddishkeit has standards. Standards. There's right and there's wrong. There's mutter and there's awesome. The standards that Yiddishkeit have are based on the Torah. The, the wisdom, the reason, the logic behind these standards is various things. But some of 
them cannot be explained in human terms. They're spirit, emphatically spiritual. Go explain to a person the concept of purity. You mean hygiene? There's never been as much hygiene in the history of the world as there is today. We don't mean physical hygiene. We mean spiritual hygiene. What is spiritual hygiene? What does it mean? A person went to the mikvah, didn't go to the mikvah. What difference does it make? It's not something you can touch. It's ruchnius. And this is the... This is... The, the truth of Yiddishkeit is this is that there is something about serving Hashem about living a life of Taylor that cannot be explained in terms of the physical and Yidnat Masiras Nefesh to preserve this from a people who says everything that you do that makes sense I want to do also but everything that you do that doesn't make sense I want you to stop doing and this is the Muhammad, this is the, the struggle of, and listen, history repeats itself as you mentioned. Now, 